Thanks, everybody, for coming out to the uh, Friday Conversation today. Thank you, John, for, for being here. Um, we've got uh, John Oglesby. So he's the uh, executive director of the Larry H. Miller Utah Summer Games. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I appreciate the invitation, and it's an honor to be able to spend some time with everybody. Great. So really, um, kind of before we get into the, the games themselves, John, love to talk about, you know, sports. Um, sports is... What? Huge part of my family, huge part of my wife's family, obviously a huge part of your career and your life, you know, coming from high school, you know, sports leadership, uh, the Big Sky Conference, uh, even, you know, reporting for the Jazz. Tell us about why you love sports so much. I love sports. Um, so I, I, I want to make a couple things really frank just to start out. Number one, um, I've found in my career that most of the times people that are working in sports – generally are people that love competition, but sometimes weren't the greatest athletes. Um, and I definitely fit into that camp, love competition, love the camaraderie that comes from sports. Um, am not a great athlete and I will, I will totally own that. Um, you never want to draft me if you have a pickup basketball team or you're putting together a community softball rec team. Uh, if you have a golf foursome, I'm a decent golfer. Um, but yeah, I, I just was not a great athlete, but I loved competition and loved the atmosphere that sports created, the pageantry of it, whatever it may be. And so for me, the way to be involved in it wasn't to be on the field, but was to get involved in covering it as a journalist, broadcasting sports as a play-by-play -play announcer, being a public address announcer, and then eventually moving into sports leadership and management, which is where I've really spent my entire career. That's awesome. Um, I think uh, I, I, I would I fully admit I'm in that same camp as far as love competition uh, wouldn't be the best draft pick. So yeah, it's it's eventually you just have to take the cards you're dealt, and <laughs> you know I've been blessed to to find a way to be a part of it, knowing the cards that I had were not going to equip me to make many uh, sports center top 10 plays. <laughs> well, I, I think, uh, and your wife, uh, what was her name? Uh, Tara. Tara. She's yeah. the uh, head golf coach for SUU. Yep, she's the women's golf coach at SUU. So sports is obviously still in the blood in your family. Very, so. very much so. She was a, a great junior golfer in northern Utah and college golfer, so so we enjoy competition. There's no doubt about that. That's cool. Um, what's your favorite sport? Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a fence sitter on this answer. If it's okay, I'm going to break it down into three separate categories. So my favorite sport to play is golf, uh, just because that's the one that I'm actually somewhat decent at my favorite sport. Um, because I also work, uh, as a broadcaster, play by play announcer to broadcast is basketball. Love broadcasting basketball, just the pace, the energy, just so dynamic to be a part of broadcasting it. But my favorite sport to watch is, is football. And that kind of fits into some things you would expect. But, um, as far as the game of football, love the strategy, love the, the pageantry behind it, which makes it a great television product. Okay. Are we, are we talking NFL, college football? Really, really anything. Okay. Um, who you got, college. who you got in the Super Bowl this year? Who do I have in the Super Bowl? So I, love the story of the lions. Um, I think we're going to see a chiefs Lions super bowl. Um, and I think many times teams take on the identity of the region that they're based in. And for some reason, this Detroit team seems to have really bought in to the identity of what it means to be in the Midwest, to, to be gritty. I look at their quarterback, Jared Goff. He's kind of risen from the ashes. And I think you could say Detroit, uh, and Michigan and the auto industry several times has had that, that theme going through their history and he's bought into that and has personified it. Yeah. And I think that's really exciting. I, uh, I'd love to see a lions take a, a win at the Super Bowl. It'd be cool. Yeah. My brother-in-law is a big lions fan too. So, uh, to see him get to enjoy, uh, one minute after, uh, one minute of, of elation after a lot of minutes of not elation would be pretty cool for him. So, yeah. um, just, just real quick, take a second. Uh, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other over yeah, the last yeah. couple months pretty well. But um, 
you, you, I've heard you tell a couple stories over your, your career in sports. Yeah. Tell one quick, unique, exciting, crazy story that you feel like they'd love to hear. So I think probably the greatest moment that I've had in my sports career um, came – how many of you in here are NBA fans in our live studio audience? Got some NBA fans in here. See a few hands going up. Everybody most likely knows who Greg Popovich is, the coast – coach of the Spurs, right? The San Antonio Spurs. So I was a reporter covering the Utah Jazz and Coach Pop is notorious for being a bit prickly when it comes to uh, reporters asking questions. So this was back in 2014. Quinn Snyder at that time was in his first year as the head coach of the Jazz. He'd worked for Coach Popovich. And so I asked Coach Popovich a question of Coach you know, how do you feel about the job that Coach Schneider's done with the, the Utah roster? And this is an exact quote from Coach Pop, god-awful. And then he looked at me, and there was kind of the same awkward laughter that's in the studio audience of like, and then he looks at me and he says, what do you think I'm going to say, something negative? And I look back at him, and uh, maybe it was my commute down from Ogden that day was a little rough, so I was a little more up for the challenge, whatever it is. And I looked at Coach Pop and said, well, I asked the question because I was hoping to get something insightful. And he looked at me and he's like, for me, insightful? Are you serious? And I'm like, well, it's Monday. You never know. Uh, but to Coach Popovich's credit, and I've sent him, sent him a letter a few years ago uh, talking about it, that was such a seminal moment for me. Uh, number one, I have the, the audio clip, so it's a really cool you know thing I can bust out at parties if you know I ever need to. <laughs> be entertaining. Uh, but the second thing is, is it really taught me a lot about how so many times in our lives we're facing people that are simply trying to see how committed we are to what we're trying to do, what we believe, what we're working towards, whatever it may be. And we're going to go through adversity in that process, but that sticking true to to, to our tasks, to what we're trying to do, to what we believe in, people respect that and ultimately will validate that in their answer. And I will tell you one of the greatest memories that I will take from my career was getting an extremely warm smile from Greg Popovich that I interpreted as, hey, you stood up and didn't back down, were respectful about it, and... And uh, to be honest, from then on, when I covered the Jazz, whenever he was in Salt Lake, we never had an issue, ever. How cool is that? It, it's a cool story, right? Yeah. But again, it's, it's, um, it, it just is a unique combination of things that happen to you that you don't control and just the mood hits you right for whatever reason. And, you know, it's, again, a cool story. You all now know the one story that I tell at parties that's, you know, somewhat entertaining for folks. So I, I'll, you'll have to show me that clip because I want to go look that up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Uh, so, kind of transitioning into you know the games themselves. Yeah. I, I'm referring to them as the games. That feels weird. No, no. By Utah all means. summer games. Yeah. Um, yep. I don't want to make this sound like the Hunger Games or something, but um, tell us about you know the history of the Utah summer games, the founding story. Where did it all come from? So the Utah summer games started really as an outcropping of of the experience that was felt by our president at that time down at Southern Utah University, Jerry Sherrod. So Dr. Sherrod went and experienced in person the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, which is maybe the greatest sporting event that's ever been held in the United States in terms of so many different parts about it. Most people don't realize that the Olympic movement, if you will, was truly on life support in the late 70s. A lot of negative things that had happened. But then the city of Los Angeles, Peter Uberoth, who takes over running that, creates this spectacle of athletic competition, which was uniquely American, uniquely Los Angeles Hollywood, and inspired the world, but inspired our university president at SUU at that time who went to the games in Los Angeles and said, we need to create a similar experience for the state of Utah that energizes our state, that unites people together, and that brings them to Cedar City to 
uniquely find community through sports. So in 1986, the Utah Summer Games started as a program of Southern Utah University, which we still are here today, and has continued ever since. Um, and what's really fun this year, um, this year's the 40th anniversary of those games in Los Angeles, and so we definitely plan on uh, making making several mentions of our, our gratitude to that Olympic spirit that was embodied there in L.A. in 84. Um, but that's really where it all started, and since then we've seen thousands and thousands of people across our state and from surrounding regions that have been able to experience that very unique um, athletic opportunity in Cedar City. Yeah. Um, be a little bit specific as far as, you know, the size of this event. You know, how many numbers are you looking to, you know, expect to come this year? Where, you know, are you seeing them come from mostly Utah, or the you know, Vegas market? Are they all over? And, uh, and for any you know anybody out here, if you go to the website, these sports are not just basketball, baseball. You know, I mean, there's arm wrestling. There's I wouldn't um, want to face you in arm wrestling. By the way, no, I feel like you you're a hit, like you'd you'd be a grinder. <laughs> um, bowling, you know, uh, horseshoe. There is everything, literally everything. Any sport I feel like I could think of was on the website for this event. So tell us about that. Yeah, we we really do try to offer within our within our programming opportunities that that engage a wide variety of individuals and to talk a little bit about what we're trying to do last year we had uh, the largest games we've ever had we had over 10,000 individuals that participated in Cedar City as part of the Utah Summer Games which was uh, again kind of a landmark number for us to hit this year we're trying to post uh, a 15 percent growth on top of that um, we're really excited about sports that we're adding this year, which are going to be new. We have a mountain biking competition, the first ever time we've offered competitive mountain biking, which will be on May 4th down in down in Cedar City. Um, we're adding sports such as cornhole, orienteering. We're also trying to work with high school partners. We have a great uh, partnership with the High School Activities Association and trying to really piggyback on sports that they're sanctioning. We're adding high school boys volleyball this summer because that's a – uh, emerging sport in the state of Utah that's got massive traction, massive growth. We want to be a part of that. Um, we're looking at, at other things in the future, whether it's esports, whether it's a variety of different op opportunities that we're very hopeful are going to lead more and more people to connecting with our campus, with Cedar City. And then opportunities that I would say, Colin, too, is, is we're trying to be a, a, a beacon in our corner of the state for what's overall going on with sports in the state of Utah. And so we're aggressively trying to get into the Las Vegas market, aggressively trying to partner and market on the I-15 corridor to bring more people to experience what we feel is one of the elite amateur sports competitions in the country. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's a, that's no small feat to put on an event with 15, you know, 10, 15,000 registered athletes, you know, competing in all sorts of, I mean, this is an event like, you know, Silicon Slopes, we put on an event where we have booths, but you guys are putting on an event where you have mountain bikers and having to build a mountain bike course. You're having to, you know, have, work with the golf course. You're having to build these logistically, these events that are very complex. Can you talk us through kind of what that's taken over the years to turn that into a success? Well, I, I think the, the story of the Utah Summer Games is the same story that all of you see in your companies and your communities, whatever it is, is it's really a love story. I know it's a love story of what people who are unified, people who care, people who find common purpose together, what they can accomplish. And I look at just the history of the games, the volunteer efforts, the countless hours that people put in. Um, to manage the competition. I look, for instance, we have, we have over 40 individual sport coordinators that we work with that manage all of our sports. They have people that work with them, whether paid staff and volunteers. We have our partners uh, with Cedar City. We obviously have all of our people that are part of Southern Utah University and, and our great community on campus. We have our external partners. So you put it together, and this is hundreds, if not thousands of people that are singularly committed to providing the experience of the games, which we really derive our purpose is found in three main things. 
One is we're trying to promote educational access and opportunity to people of all ages that's found at Southern Utah University, uh, found in a lot of great places, but particularly at SUU. The second thing is we're trying to provide positive, sustainable economic development through sports tourism for the area uh, of Cedar City, Iron County, and the state in general. And then we're really committed to building communities and building people through healthy lifestyles that we found are in sports. And what's so inspiring for me, and I'm sure all of you see it in your, your companies and your spheres of influence, is mobilizing people to buy into that common mission and that common thread that then has everybody pulling in the directions that they need to to make that a achievable and sustainable outcome. But to your point, that allows them to handle the uh, – the things that are offered along the way. Right. Um, we, you know, over the last five years, I feel like we've seen, especially here in Utah, so many buildings, for example, are being built with pickleball courts right outside, basketball gyms, tennis courts, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the sports industry over the last five years and how maybe even post-COVID we're seeing people and employers being able to access their hobbies and sports more often and kind of what that looks like? Well, I think study after study shows the, the, the purpose and the, um, the positive benefits that people get by being involved in competition, healthy lifestyles, active physical movement, whatever it may be, um, whether it's health benefits, whether it's uh, emotional and mental health benefits, whether it's team building, whatever it may be. So, so there's, there's all the studies, all the dollars that have gone into finding that very tangible outcome of that that companies are buying into, which is awesome. Then you look at the fact that the sports industry from an entertainment side has something that is very unique in terms of an entertainment offering. There's no shock that the one of the last remaining elements of the broadcast television industry, which is still very viable, is sports television rights. Why? Because it's a very unique thing. And then you take a look at the fact that there's so many companies, so many groups, so many different organizations that have found that sports marketing is one of the most valuable returns on investment that you can possibly have, which leads to a growth in sporting opportunities. You and I were talking beforehand. I, I don't think in the sports community there's ever been a more exciting place to be right now than in the state of Utah. There's never been a more exciting place to be than what's going on right now here in Utah in sports with what the Miller family's trying to do in bringing Major League Baseball, with what they're really doing to try to facilitate bringing two Major League Baseball teams potentially, uh, is mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. With the Smith family and the Smith Entertainment Group announced the other day about actively trying to pursue an NHL team, facilities growth, investment. There's never and been the a Olympics better... The Olympics back. in 2034... Um, there, there's never been a better time to be involved in sports in the state of Utah. And, and we feel like we're a part of that with the Larry H. Miller Utah Summer Games at SUU. We feel like we're a vital cog in continuing to stoke the fire of interest in sports and entertainment in our state. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, having the name, you know, Larry H. Miller Utah Summer Games, that, that partnership is probably – crucial to everything you guys do. I mean, that is a household Utah brand. It is. And we, we are so grateful for the support of, of the, the Miller family in particular and their family foundation. We're very aligned, I would say, uh, in terms of the outcomes that we're trying to get to. Um, and that's why we've been so grateful that they have been longtime supporters of our department at SUU and have seen the value in what we're trying to do. Um, I've said this many times publicly and privately. It's also um, a very personal thing to me as the executive director of that department, um, knowing that the name Larry H. Miller is the title sponsor um, through the Families Foundation of our, of our department. And there's uh, an, an immense amount of responsibility that you feel um, because you do. That is a name that has stood for doing a lot of very positive things in our state whether from a community aspect, a business aspect, whatever it may be. And to be a steward of that legacy um, 
is definitely something that uh, is is both a great blessing and a great responsibility, and it keeps you motivated every day to try to show a very very tangible positive impact from the Miller family's commitment to our organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine for them it's it's a huge opportunity. I mean, from what you guys have built, they are. I would imagine they're thrilled to be involved. So they're tremendous partners, and and we hope uh, that we'll be tremendous partners for a long time to come. Yeah, um, kind of shifting direction a little bit here. Uh, I I know I was very curious, but I know I imagine people on the live stream and here in person would love to know. Talk about back again to the sports industry over the last five years, NIL for better for worse. What does that look like? I know you have experience in the Big Sky Conference and worked with the commissioner directly. How are you seeing that change the landscape? Yeah, so I would say on the on the topic of NIL, um, I think there's we all in here are predominantly business professionals, right? And so when you have a skill, um, there there's a skill that that you have a, a rate that you individually have interpreted is worthy of compensation at a rate, whatever, whatever metric you're using you're setting a rate for that comp for that compensation. I would say compensation is, is really at the bottom of it. And so when you look at NIL and the impact, I think what's, what's very hard to determine because I think on one side of the issue, it's very easy to look at and say, these are people that are driving revenue, driving interest into universities, into states, into cities, whatever it may be, and finding a way for them to be compensated for that. But on the other side, there's a lot of other issues that come up about, okay, what is this doing in terms of the the access and the resources that some universities, some communities have in comparison to other universities, other communities? And, and really what it does over time is, is it does begin to erode what we've all come to accept as part of the, the college experience. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but it does change it a lot. It changes the way the game happens. The changes in recruiting are immense. Um, and I get that from friends that I talk to, from whether they're coaches or or administrators it's totally changed recruiting um why does it feel like i feel like i'm, I'm a huge byu yeah, fan yeah and right after the season was over it's like transfer portal chaos like and they it, it, it and i could be wrong here but it feels like there is so many universities are struggling to feel like they can be chosen because of who they are yeah, and I, the culture I, that they represent. Yeah, I think that's that's a very real thing, and I think the transfer portal again, it, it's one of those things. There's there's always going to be um, a variety of outcomes in any in any decision, any type of thing that happens, and the portal um, is one of those things as well. That uh, it it definitely is a paradigm shift in the business, uh, the college sports industry, if you will, and it's created. Um, a situation where there's a lot more autonomy on the side of student athletes to make choices um, for themselves, which I'm not saying is is bad or good or bad. It just is different. And over time, it will be interesting to see how the industry um, adjusts. It'll be very interesting to see how institutions adjust. Um, and I'm also, you have to understand too, I'm still one of those um, somewhat rom- I, I believe very strongly in the power of higher education and I believe very strongly in the value of a of a scholarship that covers the cost of higher education. And that's because I at my core believe there's nothing more transformational than educational opportunity. And so anything to me in the college athletics experience that devalues that educational experience is concerning to me. And I'm I'm for people being compensated for for what they have. I'm for people having the opportunity to choose to perform in a place where they can be successful. But I am very concerned um, as an individual any time that we we try to devalue the transformational impact that education can have on people and their family trees. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean back to the transfer portal comment i a close friend of mine was a a linebacker for byu and i was talking with him about it the other day and he said that um you know he he graduated he finished and is obviously done playing football but 
when he was in the heat of you know being a uh, a team uh, leader for BYU, you know, and and being in a position where culture is extremely important and retaining players. He's like, I I can't imagine now feeling like I have to make this. My financial decisions are more important than like where I'm playing, and that that is causing a lot of stress for young players, young athletes. Is like they're suddenly having to make decisions around, in some cases, a ton of money on the line when they've never made decisions like that before. Can you talk a little bit about like what advice you'd have for you know young people like that? Well, this goes into something, Colin, and I it's. Uh you know, you may not have come to today to hear necessarily my, my opinions on, on, uh, life and, and such, but, but I'll share it is I think our society, um, from my perspective is very good at helping people be successful. And what I mean by that is anybody in the world who is earnestly looking for success, I believe they can find it now to what degree, what what that looks like, um, where it compares to maybe the goals that you have. I, I can't answer that question, but I do believe that people that are looking for success, that are looking for, um, you know, compensation, that you, they will find those things at some level. I think what we're increasingly, and this is, is my take, doing a poor job of, is preparing people on what they're going to do with their success. How are you going to have a mindset of how to manage it? How are you going to manage it in a sense that it's sustainable? How are you going to be generous with resources that you've been given, blessed with, work for, whatever it is to try to build people and communities and families and other places outside of yourself? How are you going to manage um, just your own self to where you're able to manage the stress and the uh, anxiety that can come from, from working in any workplace. How are you going to do all those things? And I think uh, on the college sports example is I think many of us who are in our late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s battle those same issues every single day. I, I don't think I'm way off mark in saying that. And so now you're asking um, very young people who are very bright, very hardworking uh, very motivated, but don't have that wealth of life experience to draw upon to do that responsibly. And if they don't have figures in their lives that can help them um, understand impacts of decisions they make, it it can it can be very overwhelming, uh, daunting, and sometimes even very very damaging depending on right. the decisions they make. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting topic. You know. I, I I never was athletically inclined enough to be able to play collegiate sports, but <laughs> some of those decisions I hear yeah, I'm trying to make. I definitely was not, so uh, <laughs> um, it's hard. You know, but let's talk just for a brief couple minutes more on, on the game, uh, Utah Summer Games again specifically. Um, how can the Utah community, folks, businesses get involved, and what is it that you guys are looking for as you continue to partner with incredible companies around the state of Utah and even beyond. How can the community reach out and get involved? Well, I I think I talked about it a a few minutes ago and talking about kind of the three goals that drive, that drive what we're trying to do again, educational access and opportunity. We're a university department. So, so take that as you will, but, but it, it is intrinsically built into what we're doing that we believe education changes lives. We believe education changes family trees. We believe education changes generational outcomes. We believe in the value of education. So we're looking for partners, businesses um, that have that same feeling, that they understand and prioritize the value of education. We're looking for partners that are interested in what I believe is a very robust, growing local economy in Cedar City and Iron County. And we're looking for people that are interested in investing resources, time, dollars, energy, whatever it may be, into being part of growing sports tourism opportunities for rural Utah, specifically in Cedar City and Iron County. And then again, I'm reiterating these things again because I just so core, uh, they're just fundamental things that I believe in is we really are looking for businesses that are looking to make a positive change 
in the world. And that's kind of one of those nebulous things that you're like, wow, that's really big. But we believe that people interacting with people from different communities, different backgrounds on, on playing fields in sporting events truly is transformational. We think that it provides a great um, opportunity for them to engage with people of different cultures and different backgrounds and just even different communities they may live in, different neighborhoods, which we think brings valuable perspective. And on top of that, again, study after study is going to show that if I spend 30 to 45 minutes of, of moderate uh, athletic activity uh, five to six times a week, there's going to be tangible benefits um, that are found in in me as a person. And so all those things, we're looking for companies, partners, supporters, volunteers, whatever it may be, that when they hear those those three pillars of what we're trying to build off of, they say, I identify with that. I identify with trying to encourage people to have healthy lifestyles that are lifelong activities. I identify with being part of something that's building community. I identify with supporting something that's providing economic growth and development through other people for other people. I support something that is, that is built on trying to provide people with opportunities to find educational opportunity. I support something that's trying to extend educational outreach to people and uh, businesses and, and individuals and folks that are interested in being part of that journey with us. Uh, we're, we're excited to have you and we hope that we can find a way to be able to engage with you because we so greatly believe in the power of those three things combining through our department. That's awesome. That's a truly incredible what you, what you guys are building down there. Um, and, uh, Silicon Slopes, we obviously would love to, you know, be involved in helping that community effort and gathering people for, you know, a common cause and, helping elevate everyone, whether it's mental health is, you know, a big discussion and the relationship between sports and, you know, that. Um, I know that there are dozens of companies in Utah that, you know, sports, hobbies, and just being active is is a part of what they do, you know, and it's how they, it's how employees are able to alleviate stress and mm-hmm. continue to grow their careers and, and, and find joy in what they do day to day. So what you're, what you're building is amazing. Um, would love to take the time to open it up now for a Q and a, any questions for John? If we can, I'd love for, for our guy in the back here. And I don't know your name, unfortunately, but that's wearing red. So at Southern Utah university, we wear red on Fridays. And so I feel our, our friend in the back here with the, the red polo shirt uh, should be the first guy who gets to ask, <laughs> ask a question just based on the fact that he wore red on Friday. I went to SUU for two years, so I'm happy to support. Go yeah. Thunderbirds. Yes, go Thunderbirds. Uh, three questions for you. You mentioned uh, Vegas a couple of times. I was under the impression that the summer games were for Utah residents. Is it open to any resident of the United States or the world? So, so here's the thing. We're part of an organization called the National Congress of State Games, which is a very official-sounding group uh, and does great work. So we have the ability to actively market um, according to this consortium that we're a part of, which also grants us the opportunity as we're the only group that can be the official state games of our state. Um, but we have the ability to market to anybody in our state, and then to states that are bordering ours, as well as to states that don't have an official sanctioned state games. Mm. So uh, Nevada does not. Uh, they're a border state, but then they don't have an official state games. And really, when you look at it, uh, being a Nevada native, is Nevada is a very unique market. Um, you have northern Nevada, Reno area. You have southern Nevada, Las Vegas, and there's a lot of real estate in between. Um, and for us in Cedar City, one, one of our competitive advantages is we're basically two and a half hours from the Wasatch Front and two and a half hours from the Las Vegas Valley. Mm-hmm. So we're a great central meeting hub for those two communities, massive population bases to be able to come and enjoy a very uniquely Utah experience. Great. What's the funding model uh, is it from participation fees or state legislature? Or what funds the games? That's a great question. So we uh, really operate off of a majority of our operations comes from the success of our participation. So it is very important for us as we're making business decisions to offer sports that 
engage with those three areas that I talked about, but they do have an element of fiscal responsibility responsibility where we feel they can be sustainable. Um, what corporate partnership, and again, we're so grateful to the many corporate partners that we have, allows us to do is that allows us to fund operations, but also to use funds to invest in new opportunities that we feel meet those three core missions that we have. And then we um, do receive various grants from, from different programs that are offered through the state. We're very grateful for those long-lasting relationships. I would say, and I, I appreciate that you brought up dollars, is um, the idea of being a steward of resources is something we take very, very seriously. And so dollars that we get, whether it's from participation fees, whether it's from partners who see um, identity and what we're trying to do, we, we take very seriously the opportunity to be a steward of those and take uh, immense pride in the ability to show an impact of what we're doing in the lives of people because of them. And so, yeah, it's an exciting model. Great. And then I was curious about competitions for people of all abilities. Yeah. So that it's so I appreciate you bringing this up. So we next week um, are are going to be working to sign um, in a ceremony next week up at the Capitol uh, an agreement um, to begin hosting the Special Olympics Utah Summer Games as part of our summer games programming. Um, it is very important to me. Uh, uh, on a personal basis, but I would say as a university wide is we're trying to find a place for people of all abilities to connect with our campus. And uh, I look at the, the work that Special Olympics Utah has done over the past few years, a lot of new opportunities, new growth. Um, they're just one example of a group that provides uh, efforts for competition for people of all abilities. But we believe in the transformational power again of education and sports. And we don't think those are exclusive to any one particular group. We believe people of all ages and all abilities can get those same benefits. And so we're actively trying to engage with people who share that common belief. And Special Olympics Utah has been one of those groups that we're, we're very proud that we're going to be able to partner with. My friend. Hey, John. Fascinating discussion. I have two questions. Yeah. First one is just a logistical question following up to the dollars yeah. and stuff. How do you house 10,000-plus people? In Cedar City. Yeah, well, we're, we're very fortunate. Um, I would say you talk about the economic development side, but also our hospitality partners are a huge part of decisions that we make because we're doing that over the course of, you know, weeks and, and sometimes, you know, over a couple months. But there has to be coordination and communication with um, partners. There has to be coordination and communication with, uh, our, our local CVB visit Cedar City Brian had to ensure that our hotel partners understand when events are taking place they understand our restaurant partners understand when things are going on so we can provide a high level of service to our folks that are coming in from out of town and uh, that's something that uh, we we take a lot of pride in doing is we want people that come to Cedar City and that come to Iron County to have such a great experience that uh, they're ready to come back soon Perfect. Transitioning a little bit, your prior life at the Big Sky Conference, why does the NCAA need to exist? And do you see them going away anytime soon with the power now for conferences and what's happened across the college landscape? I, so so I, I just want to put it out there that I, uh, I'm going to answer from my perspective. Uh, and then, um, you know, I'm not saying that that is right or, or what's happening in the industry. But when you take a look at it, there's always need for some organization to be managing a consortium of people that are working together. You always have to have some organization that's enforcing, creating, managing, whatever it is, guidelines and processes that standardize business. So I'll give you a great example. Um, Whenever there's a rules violation that takes place uh, on the field, there has to be a group that has helped to manage um, for a rules book to be written for a particular sport and then that adjudicates those things and allows a process for those to be adapted and changed. So whether it's the NCAA, 
whether it's some other group in college sports, whatever it is, there, there always is going to have to be, from my point of view, some group that's providing some level of management of, of that process. Now, what that looks like, I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going to pretend to know what it's going to look like in 10 to 15 years. But I do believe that this idea that, that things can operate and coexist independently without having some type of group that's managing, I will say, the bureaucracy, a lot of that is, is really far-fetched. There's always got to be some group that's providing perspective and providing management of those tasks. I ask the question because you have the Utahs, the BYUs, the Alabamas, the Michigans, and then you have SUU and you have the Big Sky Conference. So obviously the smaller schools are going to get left behind when it comes to NIL money, when it comes to um, a lot of those things. I agree with you on the, uh, you know, kind of the adjudication side, but it's just fascinating to see the landscape and how the Pac-12 fell apart in 72 hours. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a one of definitely one of the more interesting things we've seen in sports business. And I think the point that you bring up, Kevin, is really good because it, I think what you're talking about more, and we all see this in, in the business world, is how business conditions change. The needs of consumers change. Um, and, and the needs of that particular business have changed, are changing, will continue to change. Um, and what that looks like, I think, is definitely open for interpretation right now. Um, uh, but, it, but again, I, I think from, from an overall level, there's always going to have to be some group that's going to manage that to be continued. That's a great point. There's a lively bunch here. We got, we got some good questions. I, I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun. I was just curious if you had a strategy to fund the NIL uh, with, through the university to, to fund it, or are you have a, do you have a tool in place, or so? So because we're separate, um, you know, we're we we have our athletic department at SUU. We have we have uh, you know the summer games, which is more of a community based um, rec, uh, you know, kind of recreational endeavor. In terms of like how to fund NIL um, processes. You know, the collectives have obviously become a big thing in the space. Um, and there's a lot of universities that are um, spending a lot of time and energy into to managing those collectives. And back to Colin's earlier question about recruiting, I think right now the schools that are doing the best recruiting are the schools that have a very clear process of how they're running their collectives, um, but that also have a great level of understanding and boundaries between the school, the athletic department, and the collective. And it really has become to where you kind of have to have all three groups coexisting um, in order for it to work because uh, the the dollars involved are, are large in many cases. And if you don't have a clear framework of how it's going to work and how each party's responsible, um, from an outsider's perspective, looking in, it, it can be a recipe for disaster pretty quickly. All right. I just didn't know if it was pass it straight just over. Pa just pass it over, Daniel. Uh, kind of piggybacking off of his question with funding, when you're working with some of these companies, I'm sure some of them have initiatives that are important to them as well as you guys. Uh, are they able to have some specificity over towards how that money is, is donated or to what direction it gets used? So if they wanted it to go towards uh, one sporting program or another, or if they wanted to establish it as a scholarship fund, how does some of those things work when they're... Yeah, when, when that's going on. And I think that's, that's a really good question. And I think that's one thing where... Um, I believe higher education in general has done a really good job because because we do um, we rely greatly upon the support of partners and foundations and individuals that believe in our mission and what we're trying to do. And so one of the great assets we have as a as a university department is we already have a standard practice of how to handle dollars that are expressly set up to go to a certain department, a certain, um, you know, building project, whatever it may be. But in our case, a specific sport or initiative. Um, and again, I give great 
credit to uh, our our business people and great credit to our folks that conduct our our audits and our financial management at, at not only our university but really in the entire Utah system of higher ed and, and any university that that's making sure that dollars that people entrust us with are being stewarded um, where we've mutually agreed that they should go and that then they can see an outcome of their generosity um, in the area that they've asked for there to be an outcome from it for. Okay. I think we have time for one or two more. Do we have one up here? Yep. Thank you. I just want to switch the topic a little oh, bit. Yeah, a lot yeah. of funding. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> um, I want to talk about technology. Oh, well, okay. Wanna kind of, can you share with us a little bit your experience, like bad or good experience, like implanting those um, technology, new technology into your sports industry or, you know, for the athlete uh, performance or marketing, I mean, any kinds of area. Yeah, I, 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 I love that question. And it's, uh, I think for me, something that's been exciting uh, coming over and, and getting the opportunity to steward this department has been the opportunity for me to bring to the table maybe some relationships with some different um, software providers or just different processes I've been involved with earlier because when all these terms that we're throwing around, stewardship, engagement, you, you have to have an effective platform to be able to do those things. And, uh, and for us as a state entity as well is... Um, you know, compliance with state law um, as a university, risk mitigation and risk management, um, compliance with those things, is, is they're all equally important and equally valuable. And so um, some software relationships that we've been able to start moving to software that's uh, Utah-based, that's better able to help us in managing all of those tasks, um, you know, that, that makes our job much easier to manage because... As Colin said, we have a lot of moving parts that we're trying to manage and ensuring compliance um, with, you know, uh, liability concerns. Those, those things are important for continuity of business. And so I would say, um, for me, we, we are trying to be um, very efficient and very open in our use of technology to be in line with trends that consumers need in business. But the one thing that I will make very, very clear um, is we never want to lose. Uh, Fred Rogers used to talk about this masterfully when he would do um, commencement speeches and different things, this connection of one-to-one. -one. So right now you and I are talking and we're talking one-to-one. -one. And we never want to lose that in our department, this idea that all of our participants, all of our contractors, all of our partners, whatever it may be, we want them to always know that they're getting a one-to-one -one relationship with us when they're working with us. And that we look at technology as a tool to do that more efficiently, but it never is going to supplant that need for us to validate people's questions, concerns, needs, um, success, whatever it may be. And uh, that probably went outside a little bit of talking about the impact of technology, but we think it just helps us be more efficient in doing that and in managing our business operations. My man in the back here, he's, he's had a question for a while. If we got time for one more, I feel like he should be there. Yeah. I, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just had a question about how do you balance doing what do you do and with your family and what's the mindset behind that? Like things get busy, like how do you cope with that, with, with everything? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question and a great question to end on. Um, I'm not going to sit up here and pretend to you to be a person that has always had or will always have a healthy work-life balance. Like I'm not going to sit up here and pretend to be that guy. Um, cause it's, it's a constant fight for me. Um, I think what's important, you know, my, my wife, uh, we obviously have, you know, our relationship as a couple. We also have a, a young daughter is, is I want to be, I want to be present in their lives and I want them to feel connected to me as a person, not just as a professional. 
And I think the one thing that helps me to try to gain perspective on this is to, to talk a little bit about me, um, my faith life. So as a follower of, of Jesus, like I understand in my life that I'm not just John Oglesby, the sports professional. I'm, I'm part of a bigger, a bigger purpose of what's going on. Um, and I'm also innately outside of anything that I do professionally of great value as all of you in this room are as well. And so trying to keep that perspective really helps me to separate the lines of it's important to work hard. It's important to try to create things that better people. But in terms of my, my focus on my personal life, my family, those are things that are, that, that have greater lasting value, if you will. And, and some could argue even eternal value in terms of what I'm doing. Um, in those areas of my life, whether it's my faith relationship, my relationship with my family. And so I, I don't know. I think just trying to keep a perspective of them, but also having uh, grace for myself, knowing uh, anytime you're a high achiever, that those scales are occasionally going to get out of balance, but then having the humility and the self-awareness to try to be very uh, critical of yourself in the times when they are getting out of balance of how do you get those back into balance? So that was kind of a wide ranging answer, but I hope that gives some context to at least the, the different things that are popping through my mind as I try to balance that, uh, that journey. And if any of you have great, uh, feedback on how to do it, my business cards on the back, please give me a call. Cause I, I could use some help in it. Great question. Well, thank you, John. Uh, it was fantastic having you. Um, I know, our team will, I personally would love to be down there for, for the Utah Summer Games. We, to have, we have a pool table here, and our team is pretty pretty good at pool. So if they play pool, we may be we that may might be the That game. might be a great idea for a, a new emerging sport in 2025. <laughs> so Okay, well, sounds good. Thank you, John, for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here. It's a pleasure to be with you.